0: I'm Dr Renee White and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr Renee White. This is episode 56 today and we have got a very special guest who is going to talk to us about something that's quite serious and I'm going to issue a bit of a trigger warning at the beginning of this. And I think I do it even through the interview with our guest. Today, we are going to be talking about obstetric violence with Dr. Hazel Keedel. And so I just wanted to issue a warning to those listening that we're going to be talking about a particular study which had caught out a lot of alarming comments and experiences from mothers and so if at all you feel that this is absolutely not your cup of tea you are not in the right headspace I would encourage you to maybe skip to the next episode if you are happy to continue listening and if at any time you feel that you find yourself needing to talk to someone after listening to this, please either call Lifeline, they are at 131114. Or if you are needing some help and support, another organization within Australia called PANDA, which is our Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, they are also able to assist you on the telephone number 1300 726. 306. For all those overseas I'm sure that you have got kind of relative lifeline and perinatal anxiety and depression numbers to be able to call. So as I said today's episode is quite a serious one we were very lucky to be able to interview Dr. Hazel Keetle after the publication of her most recent research, which deep dives into a very well-consulted study detailing the experiences of over 8,500 Australian women particular those ones who had experienced obstetric violence so we are going to be talking to her a little bit later but first of all i just wanted to introduce dr hazel keitel she has a phd and is a lecturer of midwifery at the school of nursing and midwifery in western sydney university hazel has more than two decades of experience as a clinician in nursing and midwifery She's an educator and researcher. This woman knows her stuff inside and out and she's got such a wealth of knowledge and I cannot wait. This is literally the first piece of the puzzle of data that her and her team are bringing out this year. She has a keen interest in vaginal birth after cesarean birth trauma, and maternity experiences explored, primarily using feminist mixed methodologies. Hazel's work has been recognized nationally and internationally, and she's been invited to many, many conferences and seminar presentations. And quite recently, she has written a book based on her PhD findings, called Birth After Caesarean, Your Journey to a Better Birth. Um, I have a few colleagues who have that book in their back pocket as midwives and they, (laughs) I've seen it, they've like just got tabs everywhere through the book and things highlighted. So Hazel is, as I said, the lead researcher on the largest maternity experiences survey called the Birth Experience Study and this is the first set of data to come out of that. I'm very excited to see what comes next from Hazel and the team. So, without further ado, here is Dr. Hazel Keitel. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hazel Keitel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well,
1: thank you for having me on today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, and, in fact, I have been wanting to have you on the podcast for quite some time. It's called like Mum Life slash Boss Babe because um, we have a collective here in Hobart, Tassie, and one of the midwives um, we caught up a couple of weeks ago and she she <laughs> she turned up to our little afternoon tea she goes, oh, my God, look what I got in the mail. I cannot put this book down. And I was like, what is it? And she's like, it's Hazel Kittle's latest book, Birth After Caesarean. And she was like literally writing notes. Like there was earmarks. There was highlighter through the whole lot. And I
1: was like... Well, tell us to send a photo to me. Yes, I will
0: because it was just amazing and I was like, I need to get my hands on this book. And yes, I wanted to talk to you about that book, but today you kind of trumped me because we're going to talk about this latest publication that has just been released. Now, People would be listening to this in real time, which would be like early January 2023. So, Happy New Year, everyone. But this publication is early December. In, I'm just looking at the, it's Violence Against Women Journal. It's open access. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. But before we dive into that, Hazel, do you want to just give us a quick brief overview of who you are, how fabulous you are, (laughs) and the research that kind of you've been doing over the past however many years to get you to
1: to this point. Okay. So, yep, my name is Dr. Hazel Keedle and I'm a senior lecturer at Western Sydney University in the School of Nursing and Midwifery. So I think what got me started, I got on the research journey after having my own vaginal birth after caesarean. And then working as a midwife, so I'm a midwife, a registered midwife and a registered nurse, and for many years um, I was working in a variety of different clinical practices as a midwife, including home birth. And then I got into the research pathway through doing my own um, research uh, project on home birth after caesarean, then went straight into my PhD to do um, vaginal birth after caesarean, the experiences of women across Australia. And whilst I was doing that, I took on the job of a full-time lecturer position at Western Sydney University. So I've got a fantastic job. I love working there. I've been there for nearly six years. And I get to midwife, the new midwives coming through. I get to do really amazing research. And so straight after my, um, and I work in an amazing team, I need to add that, And so straight after my PhD, as it was being examined, this opportunity of the birth experience study came to us. So um, Professor Hannah Darlin is my um, co-researcher on this project. She was also my supervisor and dear friend. And the producers of Birth Time went to her and said, can we do a survey to go along with the movie, the documentary? So uh, we First of all, it was like, oh, I don't know if we can. But then Hannah thought, oh, Hazel's just finished her PhD. (laughs) She's got some spare time. (laughs) I stepped in um, as the lead researcher. It's a co-design project, and that's what I've been then doing for the last few years. I did also then write a book as well. As soon as my PhD was in, I wrote a book for women based on my PhD about birth after cesarean. So that's oh I'm my god,
0: <laughs> that's that's amazing, Hazel. There are so many things that I want to unpack there. First of all, and we're going to probably talk, we're definitely going to talk about this later. I think the listeners at the end of this conversation will probably do like a hail mary of like, thank goodness we have people like you teaching the next generation of midwives because the stuff we're going to talk about today is very heavy. And I'm assuming, and I would love your opinion on it. There's there's a lot of, I guess, culture and hierarchy, like ingrained in the current kind of systems that we have right now, and it's leading to, you know, what we're going to talk about, which is around obstetric um, violence here in Australia. You've already touched on quite briefly the fact that this Australian Birth Experience Study or BEST was a co-creation, and I just wanted to highlight because as a previous scientist, I think some people don't maybe appreciate what goes into a study like this. And a lot of people just look at the highlights and not the methodology that goes into it. And I, in our previous discussion with Hannah, We went in-depth around, you know, what makes a good paper, what makes a good study, how robust it has to be, and the way that you interrogate the data is so critical. And I just wanted to alert people. I thought this was such a wonderfully consulted study, and I'm just going to read out one of the par- paragraphs yeah. if that's okay with you yeah. because i i really want to hammer home to people how important this was and so so well considered so as you said it was a co-creation between academics consumers and filmmakers of birth time which i saw everyone my god if you have not seen that people go out oh, and it? see that movie <laughs> i was in tears at the first 30 seconds i was like i'm not going to last this movie <laughs> so In the methodology, so you've talked about a consumer reference group made up of representatives from 10 Australian maternity advocacy organisations, informed the study design and pilot tested the research questions. So you just like jump in, you had like you piloted everything a cultural steering group of women from all different language groups advised and informed the translations how many translations was it again was there it were 7 translations so 7 eight. translations yes. so english yes. plus 7 translations yeah. During the survey development, so for all those playing at home, it's not just like you craft some questions and you throw it at people. You've got to like refine, refine, refine to make sure that you're like getting the right data. So during the survey development, the survey was reviewed by the consumer reference group and cultural steering group, and recommended additions and changes were undertaken. The survey was piloted with women from the target group, and any further suggestions were added to the survey. The final version of of the survey was submitted with the um, ethics application, which, P.S., that always has to go through. Like, And yep. that sometimes can be quite an arduous process as well to get it through an ethics committee. Well, it can
1: be. You never expect them just to give you a yeah. yes straight away. They always come back with a few different things that need yeah, to happen. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It can be really hard. So, I just wanted to highlight that because I think sometimes, as I said, people gloss over it and they don't appreciate the the hours and the considerations that are made when it comes into a study like this. So, bravo to you. Well done.
1: <laughs> well, I'm very passionate about co-creation, co-design and consumer engagement. I mean, I did it through my PhD for my VBAC server. I got individuals to come online before Zoom is <laughs> fashionable. And I actually showed them every single question and asked them what did they mean by that and then scaled it so that I could then find out, was there a knowledge issue? Was there a, they need more information in that one. And so I I did, I've done that from the very beginning of my research career. So when I got this opportunity, uh, it was just obvious that we would reach out and make this co-designed. If we want to get the experiences of women, then we need to be able to speak the same language as women. And when you work in the research fields, you get a bit more used to some of the technology, technological language that can be really unfamiliar to women doing the survey. Mm. So it was really important. And just to add that there was a professional organization as well, which was the Rodanthi Lipsit Indigenous Middle Free Scholarship Fund. I think I may have got that right. And, and they were part of it as well. So, um, yeah, they all helped design the questions. That's why some questions in there, such as such a yes. violence one, got in there because they would say to us, we, can you ask about this? Can you ask about that? And in fact, it was our consumer organizations that said, well, um, if this is only going to be for English speaking women, what can we do about that? And I said, Well, let's raise some yes. money and let's get it translated. So, you know, it was really a, a big, a big project. And it still is, because I send out newsletters to our consumer organizations every few months with information on what we're doing. I'm very accountable to our to our consumer organizations and professional organizations. I see them as mm-hmm. our partners and our supporters of this study. Absolutely. And I'm sure like we'll get to this because
0: you know, nothing changes with just a single research group. This is, as I said at the beginning, something that's going to require a huge cultural change. And and yeah, having those partners on board from the get-go, I think is just fantastic. So, well done to that. So, Let's kind of dive in, but I want to set the scene as well. So this, as I said, this is a very heavy topic. Um, It may be quite triggering to some women and um, support people as well who have supported, you know, women through this process. But today we're going to talk about this publication that details the experience of around 8,500, over eight thousand. 500 who completed the survey, and in particular, their experience with obstetric violence. And I think it's really important that we actually define what that means in the beginning. And I know you touched on this in the paper, because in some instances, people thought that they may not have actually experienced that because of what they narrowed it down to being only obstetricians. Can
1: Well, that's right. It is a a recognised term by the United Nations. It's recognised as a form of gendered violence. But it's not a recognised term, I think, in community Mm. in Australia. It's not something that we use. And so we wanted to ensure that when women read the question, they didn't just think, well, no, that's not me. I don't even know what that means. And so just Mm. gloss over it. So actually in the question, we put a definition Mm. in there. So that women could read, you know, have you experienced this or do you think you experience this? And then read the definition. And then, and it's really the only question we put a maybe in there, we put a yes, maybe, or a no. Because some women might go, Well, I I recognize that just that definition. Now maybe I did. I'm still not hundred percent sure. And I didn't want to lose those yeah. um stories either. So anybody that said yes or maybe then got the opportunity to give us further information. And that's where, that's the um, analysis that we did um, of those comments that came out in this paper. Mm, I think that's really important,
0: that maybe section as well, because I mean, we, you know, as postpartum doulas go into, you know, these mother's homes after they've had babies and you see it unravel over the weeks, you know, that process of like, Actually, I don't think I was okay with that. Because initially it's that shock, it's the adrenaline, you've just got a baby, you just gotta keep going. And then that, you know, that processing takes place that we're able to su- It can take years yeah. oh, for that absolutely. Take place.
1: Like it's we 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 asked for a period of the past five years in the survey, which was out last year, and it was out for about 10 months last year. And you know, I, I think it it has that delay. Because it's it's something that is so hidden, even in how it's being done, mm. like it's glossed over or it's the way it's put there is, well, we had to do this, or it's this is just what we do, mm. that after a while you go, "Oh, hang on a minute, that happened to me, and that actually that's not okay. I don't think that was okay. Mm. And I think a lot of women from hearing this and from reading, the newspaper articles about this and the radio that I've done will start thinking, actually, did I experience that? Yeah. So this can be very triggering content and it can be quite illuminating content because it makes you reflect and think, did I experience that? And I've recently spoken to to a woman who is a much more mature woman, um, had babies a long time ago and has come to the realisation of what happened to her just recently. Mm. That's so sad.
0: And, yeah, we typically find that um, second or third baby, whatever was not dealt with with the first, it just, you know, rears its ugly head again and you're like, hold on a minute, where did that come from? I mm. haven't actually processed that um, at all. So are you able to walk us through what were your main findings in this particular study? Can you walk that through with with the listeners?
1: Sure. So obstetric violence is a dehumanised abusive treatment by a healthcare provider that can be a midwife or a doctor or anybody in the maternity care space to a woman during the pregnancy, labour and birth or postnatal period. And so once we asked that question, uh, we found in the yes, maybe, no, when we put the yes and maybes together, and there certainly weren't any maybes that were not obstetric violence, that there was more than one in 10, so 11.7% of women that identified yes or maybe in the survey. And then from that, they got offered to do this uh, open text comment. And from that, we had 626 women share stories. So we use a process called content analysis and our research assistant, Warren, who happens to be my husband as well, he's an amazing researcher in his own right, he started off the content analysis, which is basically putting all the comments into a software and going through, reading through every single comment and then categorizing them into the different types of, of categories that came up. And then we go through lots of different... Processes to go through that and quality of checking and I then did another analysis and and it goes and Hannah does an analysis and we do it all together as a as a research team to decide what are these the, what are these categories really saying. So there were three main categories and that was I felt dehumanised, I felt powerless, and I felt violated. And the dehumanised really um, focused on i think language and feeling like you're just a number in the whole big system not really i guess also dehumanizing in our in the language of body parts so saying things like you know your cervix isn't isn't designed to dilate um i'm not sure what else it's designed yeah. to do your pelvis isn't big enough like really breaking down a woman from a whole to body parts yeah. but being also being shouted at being yelled at and um, being dismissed there was lots of different comments in that and lots of different sections of that, even identifying the system and um this systematic abuse that can happen. The powerlessness was 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 one step further where women were really taken their power was taken away, and that could be done through through non-consent, so being pushed to have interventions or actually not being given pain relief when asked for being belittled in their choices. Not having any of their choices or decisions respected, but in you know in the in quite a dismissive and, and uh, abusive way, and also use the use of coercion. So if you don't do this, your baby will die. Mm. Is you know we we call it the dead baby card, as if it's okay to give it a category. It's actually not okay mm. yeah. <laughs> because the woman is never in a position to be able to do anything else but either stand up and say yeah that's sure i'm happy for my baby to die which no woman is ever yeah, going to do exactly or you know it's expected that you would then follow the coercion and then agree with what the healthcare provider is is saying which may not always and often not based in evidence and then all the way through to violated and they were in instances of physical and sexual assault and this is quite a Quite strong paper in the fact that when I was, when we were analyzing those comments around vaginal examinations, mm. they were using terms and words and descriptions that you would hear with sexual assault. And so I, we make the claim that a vaginal examination can be a sexual assault. And there's actually not very much in the academic literature that makes that bold step. But this is based on what women have said, and these none of these stories are made up. They're all individual women's stories. And when they use the terms that we the, you know, and I've got a whole sentence in the paper that lists all the terms that were used. Yeah. They're they're strong terms. And so I think we, we can't we can't deny that. We can't hide against that. So also in that violation was also physical abuse, so being held down, having extremely rough physical examinations, not just the, the the vaginal examinations were separate to that, and uh, maybe grabbing of the breasts really quite roughly during, you know, breastfeeding, when looking for breastfeeding support, or after women's had the baby and midwives are, we call the term, rubbing up the fundus. Um, you know, still that can be done with the woman's consent and explaining, and it doesn't have to be extremely painful. We're certainly not reaching for the spine when yeah. we do that. Um, but yet, women would describe them, and actually, women didn't even know what what that was being done for. A lot of time, they're saying that this person really, really was painful. Or, as one of the quotes says in the paper, a a, a nurse said when she when they were handing over, "Oh, she'll she'll tell you to stop, but just ignore her." So there, that you know, it went all the way through to physical and sexual assault and episiotomies, um, or unconsented episiotomies, or not a piece of it's giving without an aesthetic or just threatening to do that.
0: You oh know, like one,
1: one example of a doctor standing there and going snip, 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 snip with the scissors to go, this is what you like in a threatening manner was enough to be uh, a, a, an experience of obstetric violence. So it covered a whole big gamut. And I actually think it's important to identify that. Because obstetric violence shouldn't ever be what we see as academics or what healthcare professionals say, well, maybe that was violent, maybe that wasn't. It really needs to be from what women experience because they're the ones who are then going on and we're just expecting them to be amazing mothers whilst actually getting over a traumatic experience.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, after reading something like this, it kind of just made me, you know, check and go, well... (laughs) No wonder our rates of postnatal depression and/or anxiety are so high here in Australia. I mean, you had over eight and a half thousand people say yes or maybe, and you've only kept, you've only.
1: Oh kept, no, let me just clarify oh. that. So we had the, so the whole survey was eight thousand eight hundred and four women um and so that's for the whole birth experience study yeah. and then there was just under a thousand that said yes or maybe which made it the one in 10 from that survey. sorry yes thank you for that okay. thank you for that correction <laughs> but then you know i think
0: taking from that thousand there was only 600 not only really 600 but there was 600 I, I can't even imagine what the rest
1: of the people kind of well, that's right not every woman that said yes or maybe left a exactly. comment exactly that would be uh, and I understand that. I mean, you know, not wanting to go there and share that story yeah. and and this the reason this is the first findings paper from the birth experience study is because it they were so raw mm. and they were so um, they were so painful what women had shared. Out of all the open ended questions, we're going to be publishing stuff from the birth experience study for quite a while. This, and this is the first findings one. But when we went through, okay, what do we look at first in our analysis? What, you know, what should we focus on first? Reading those stories, reading, reading the the pain mm. and the trauma and the, and the, the, the rawness of them that I, I, we made the decision as a team, we need to report on this first. Yeah. Because there were women, you know this is both for the women that did share their story, but also for the women that couldn't share their story. Absolutely. That's really important. They're, they were the silent sufferers. They said yes or maybe, but even then they couldn't share their story. And so this paper is for them as well. Mm,
0: i I found it actually very difficult to read. I haven't experienced obstetric violence. And I found it very challenging to read. Um
1: It is a challenging yeah. read. It's difficult even for me to read when yeah. I, mean, I wrote it. Yeah. Like I still find I read that I'll go, oh God, is that is that the one we put in there? No. Um, we had six hundred odd comments we could have chosen yeah. and we had to get the ones that best that reflected the the categories best. But still like it it impacts me and I and I've written them. Yeah, and you've probably read them over
0: and over and over again. My goodness. Yeah, and I
1: did never, and I never got desensitized by them. I would get angry. Yeah. Not at the women. I would get angry at the at the fact that it occurred. Mm. I would just, but it would just feed feed this desire to let their voices be heard. And there would be times, and certainly when I and I saw my husband do the first level analysis, and he would read them. You know, he'd been reading them for a while, and I would just see him, he would just internalize it. Get up and have to go and walk yeah. and do something. Yeah, and I'd be like, "What was that?" And he goes, You're, "You'll, you see, you'll see." He just goes saying, "You'll see," and then I did. And so it was, um, a pro- it was a challenging process, but I just kept saying to myself, "It was not as challenging as it was for the women who experienced it." Yeah, and I just had to keep that there, even though it was hard as a researcher to do. It was never as hard as each of those 600 women that had to, that wrote down those stories and the others that were silent about it. Mm, absolutely. And I, as you said, this is only the
0: tip of the iceberg when it comes to this. Absolutely. The study. There would have been
1: many that didn't say no. Um, we also did ask about birth trauma and birth trauma has higher rates than that. Yes. But I do see birth trauma almost like an umbrella term. Um, and sitting under that umbrella is this distinct form of birth trauma, which is obstetric violence. Uh,
0: okay. So um,
1: yeah. that's how I, now that I've been living in this data for quite a while, and also through my PhD, i I had lots of reports of birth trauma and obstetric violence for women with a previous cesarean. So I'm used to this research area, and that's really how I see it now. Birth trauma is this umbrella term. Mm. And then underneath that, part of that is obstetric violence, which is a very distinct and I think very, um, very, very damaging part of birth trauma because it is that lack of voice, that is, it is that violation. And I think it's, you know, it's a very distinct part of birth trauma. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, you know, as as a woman who's birthing, I mean, we know from the research that you go into this space, your brain is not focusing on what's going on in the environment and, and you're almost like this sponge. And so you rely on the people around you to be supportive and respectful and that you trust them and that, you know, they're making decisions around you for your best interest. And I think, you know, you kind of get this um, kind of, you know, level of authority from these healthcare professionals. I did, you know, I only had, I think there was two instances where I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? Uh, One was when (laughs) I just given birth to my daughter, elective cesarean, someone came in, ripped the sheets off, Open, you know, got the gown up and stabbed me in the leg with something and I was like what was that you know and I was just like and then I felt very sick I was like oh my god what is that I'm like a I'm a hot house flower you know I can't even have codeine uh, yeah but you didn't consent
1: to that right well
0: exactly so you know there was that and then there was another issue with the midwife with that classic you know pushing the baby's head onto your breast and that's clearly not going to work out um, so that was kind of like two instances where I had to deal with that. but And I'm quite a strong and assertive person in everyday life, but it was like someone had literally just taken my voice out because I was thinking, what was that? What was going on? What's happening? It's very
1: confusing for women because, you know, of that dehumanisation process that can occur. You know, we, we have our young women, we teach them about consent in high school, we we i mean we have we have terrible rates of violence against women in australia in intimate partner relationships and we have a lot of media about that but you know we we are getting better at educating young men and young women about consent, about respectful relationships. And you know, women have a lot more options than they could do before they can finish school. They can go to university. They can access many, many different types of occupations and qualifications and they have successful careers, albeit there still be challenges, but have successful careers and then you get pregnant. And then you enter the um maternity space and all this stuff can just happen to you. And if you're one of that one in ten and it's probably a higher rate than that, you you have this trust in healthcare providers and they break that trust mm. and they abuse you. And they and and this isn't all healthcare providers, otherwise it would be a hundred percent. So, you know, this isn't all. But the fact that there's more than one person in this country having it means that we need to, we need to talk about it. And I think it's it's so it's I think it becomes confusing. If we can have all this ability as women, we can do all these amazing things, but then, like you said, you were a smart, intelligent woman, but you were not asked if you could have that in if you should have that injection yeah. or you know someone shoves a baby to your breast and and it's it's dehumanizing mm. and and then you've been through that trauma and some of these traumas obviously did include sexual assaults and then you're expected to be mother of the year and be able to cope with your with this new baby and the lack of sleep and a massive change in your role and to your family and birth trauma and obstetric violence fits under that, like I've said, leads to higher rates of postnatal depression, PTSD, um, anxiety. And that's really hard to be a mum when all that is happening as well. And then, and then we just go, well, you know, then women kind of get gaslit by just saying, well, at least you had a healthy baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, my
0: goodness. And
1: there's this whole expectation that, well, birth is painful and birth is – Birth is, um, you know, you 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 leave your dignity at the door. No way, you shouldn't be leaving your dignity at the door. I I am a midwife, and for many many years I've worked with women who've had healing births, mm-hmm. they've had empowering births, they've had triumphant births. Um, I remember one woman I said to her after the birth, you know, you're not you're not the woman I recognised during pregnancy. You're very very different now. And she said, I'm just back to the woman I was before my first birth, which resulted in obstetric violence. Mm. So for the time that she'd had that first birth all the way through to her next pregnancy until she then had a healing birth, was she able to get back to the person, the strong woman that she was before? And it took a healing birth for that to happen. So I think it's, it's a really important thing that we talk about. And it's confusing for women when they've been told, Well, these things, you're lucky that these things happened. We saved the life of you and your baby. At least you've got a healthy baby. And that's not right. Women, all women deserve respectful maternity care, regardless of the mode of birth, regardless of what happened during that labor and birth. It still needs to be respectful. Mm, Absolutely. Can we touch on, I guess,
0: why, why this is happening I mean, I, I spoke earlier about, you know, thank goodness we've got people like you teaching the next generation of, of midwives, but is there something like were they taught a particular bedside manner? Are we talking about, you know, and this is we're not, you know, blanket brush with all healthcare professionals. But is there something in the system that they're being taught or not taught? Do they need to be retrained? What is going on in the systems that we have currently,
1: which is kind of leading to these levels of obstetric violence? I think it is a lot of different a lot of different factors and we look at this in the discussion of the paper so there are a few different things to look at one there is the training of our healthcare providers that we need to we need to focus on it it is i believe um quite well covered in bachelor of midwifery courses and in graduate diploma of midwifery courses but there could be more there could certainly be the focus on what is respectful maternity care because i think if we're looking at how do we why it's there Uh, And then also, then how we fix it, it's, I think it's important to have more of a growth mindset and go, well, what is the positive of what is the opposite? So, the opposite of obstetric violence or birth trauma is respectful maternity care. So, then there needs to be more focus on teaching respectful maternity care and what that is. Certainly there needs to be more of that in, um, the obstetric and gynecological rotations of medical students, um, and really understanding what that is and what does consent mean. And, you know, medical students are thrown into, into labor wards and told you, you've got to get all these vaginal examinations and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And uh, without actually going, well, hang on, how do you do that? And what is consent and what does that mean? And exploring more of, um, of that. And I do actually do some interprofessional education training in third year with medical students and, and medical students, and we do talk about this, but they do need more information on that. So that when they go out to practice, they've got a good understanding of what respectful maternity care is and what the opposite of that is, and actually listening to women's stories on the impact of what obstetric violence can lead to and can be like. And it's, it's challenging stuff to teach mm. and it's challenging stuff to hear but it's vital. But that goes all the way through to our healthcare providers once they are qualified and they're out there in practice because at that point, that's when there can be this assimilation with the system, which is a challenging system, to work in and it's challenging when you've got policies and guidelines that are there to make sure that there's minimum standards that are going along and and I understand that stand them but they often get used as part of the coercion mm. you know if a woman says well I don't actually want to do what's on that policy or guideline and then the healthcare provider almost may maybe having an unconscious bias reaction of if they don't follow that guideline, I'm going to get into trouble. Yeah. And then, what can I do to make sure this person follows that guideline so I don't get into yeah. trouble? And then I think, you know, when 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 it's very rare in our health in our health system to see a low risk, normal vaginal birth is actually something rare to see. So our midwives and our doctors every single day are more likely to see intervention based birth, They're more likely to see those those that cascade of intervention, and that can become the norm. Right. So if a woman is coming in and saying, "But I don't want that. I I just want to push a baby out of my vagina. I'm, I'm just this is what I want to do." Yeah. but actually, that's that on its own is fairly rare in a in a in a hospital setting. And so then, the the, the midwives and doctors working in that are very used to using intervention and relying on intervention rather than relying on women's experiences and maybe um, their their actions and their and their and their their behaviours and their vocal noises. Why do they do um, that?
0: Have they got to push them through quickly? Is there like a time or a checkbox thing? Like. I'm curious to know. I mean, I had an elective well, it's cesarean. it's be- almost so. become
1: standard practice. I okay. mean, if we look so at So they're just like, right, you know, what-
0: this is the normal procedure. Let's just, if you don't progress by this you time. You have to look
1: at our Australian birth statistics to see that. Our mother and birth rate shows our cesarean rates are increasing, mm-hmm. shows that our inter- intervention rates are increasing, shows that our um, our episiotomy rates have doubled in the last 10 years, and there's no research to support that.
0: What is so- going on there? I've read that in the paper. Like, I think. Was it that they went down and then all of a sudden
1: they jumped like a huge? Was that the statistic oh, that back I read? Into fashion, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They have increased. So there's this, uh, there's this normality of of um, intervention, and you know, labor ward is on a on a morning shift is getting women induced. So it's it's such a um, a routine practice, mm-hmm. that it's very difficult for, for women going in there who maybe don't want that. Um, and and then we do know that, you know, those increased interventions, that cascade of interventions. Uh, and then again, the system is under a staffing crisis right now. Yeah. You know, we need more midwives. And so when you've got a midwife caring for four or five women <laughs> rather than providing one-to-one midwifery care, mm-hmm. then it's very difficult. and. It's very demoralizing for a midwife at the end of her shift to sit in the car and feel like oh, I wasn't able to be the midwife I wanted to be. Mm. And so we're seeing midwives leave the profession. And we, we have bullying in in healthcare. It is life. So there are issues with there are issues with ed- education. We need more education and respectful for maternity care. There are issues with individuals who have maybe. Maybe don't feel so comfortable with women who are choosing outside care outside the guidelines, or have just become so um, institutionalised that they don't see that what they're doing can actually right. be violent or a lack of consent. But then it also goes wider. You know, there is there is the I- issues of of workforce, of lack of staffing around, um, and this over reliance on policies and guidelines and risk, mm-hmm. and it just makes for a very messy. And confusing experience for women who are planning just a birthday baby and expect that they will have a respectful maternity care experience. But there are changes, and there are things that that can change. Let's um, talk about those because I would love, yeah.
0: like you know, <laughs> this is this is a very explosive publication. I think it's shined a spotlight on you know what's going on here in Australia, and I would anticipate that a lot of people are like. Right? Okay. It's we've it's it's kind of like I felt like it was like almost like a Dr. Phil episode. We need to talk about the fact that we've got a problem. Let's talk about the white elephant in the room because we need to start making some changes. Because the level of obstetric violence here in Australia, as you said, if it's more than one person, we've got a problem here. So I guess what are your recommendations that you've put forward and are you working with you know systems and hospitals and education kind of things to kind of put these in play like where where are we at and i know this is a really fresh kind of publication well, it is very fresh so we haven't <laughs> what would be your
1: dream though hazel if you had all the
0: power in the world
1: <laughs> yeah yeah look i think if i if i really had my dream again it's looking at a few different areas it is increasing that education um, for our medical and and midwifery students. It is increasing, um, it's really increasing relational-based midwifery care. So that continuity of care with a midwife, that doesn't mean if there there may be women listening and they've experienced obstetric violence through having midwifery continuity of care, it doesn't mean it's uh, immune to it, but it is, I believe, much it would be less. We haven't. We're actually going to be looking at the data. I was going to ask that you yet. that
0: because I was looking yeah, through the paper the, and I was like, have they yeah. like narrowed this down? <laughs> to, actually,
1: I can't even tell you because we've not looked at the to numbers be yet. But being <laughs> looked at right now by our stats people, but you know, I think there would be an impact by model of care. Be yeah. and I think if we like, if we just rationalise that, when you have a relationship that's based on trust and equity. And this certainly came out through my through my PhD work, which is more likely with a with a midwife. That's what I found from my PhD findings. That is there. Uh, then it's you know their story. Yeah. And I'm a midwife who's worked in quantitative care models in all different settings. And when you know their story and you know maybe their previous trauma and um, maybe their previous birth trauma and you know what they want. And it's it's a very different experience. It's very difficult to then, and you're more likely to work just with them as well. Like you go into the shift, you go into the labour ward because your woman is in labour, yeah. and so then you're spending that time. You're not caring for everyone else on the ward. That's the core cool stuff. Mm. You're caring for the woman. And we just have to look at the stories that are posted all the time and the stories that have come through the survey and those are on social media, that it really makes a difference. And we know it increases satisfaction rates. We've got the the systematic reviews to show that as well. So it, it's bringing more of those models in. And actually not just having a model of that in your hospital, but if if women in your area have to pee on a stick, get a positive pregnancy test, and then ring up to book into MGP because otherwise they won't lose your space, then managers, you got to do something about yeah. that. That is a pure business model of supply and demand. You need to get more midwives in there. You need to grow these practices so that women are not having to rely on the fact that they can't, they've got to get in in the, in the you know, week three of their pregnancy yes. because they're not going to get in at all. That, that just means you don't, you need, you need to grow it. And there are some fantastic models of care out there, both private in private midwifery models and in public midwifery group practices that are doing amazing, amazing work. I guess if I was having that dream moment, I would have a dream that every midwife at some point in their career experiences working in a continuity care model because I think it changes you on a cellular level mm-hmm. about how to really advocate for a woman that you develop this long relationship with. Mm-hmm. and there'll be a lot of midwives that are not happy with me for saying that. but you know I'm standing on a, on a yep. pulpit and I'm <laughs> and I'm saying my dream moment I tell students that. I tell the students that they come through um, our Bachelor of Medical Free lab, please, and also the Grad Dip, if you can, at some point in your career, even if it's for one year, up to five years, do it because you will understand what it's like to have that relationship-based care. And if you go back to working outside of the Construcated Care Model, back into the system, you will have that knowledge with you mm. and that will never leave you. Yeah. So uh, that's that's one part of it. I really also think that um, our professional colleges and organizations need to come together. So both RANSCOG and the College of Midwives need to say, you know what, there is a problem here. So how do we do this together? How do we fix the solution? Um, not running and hiding, but actually going, okay, we need to fix this. It's not a blame and shame. No. But actually, it's a, there's an issue. So let's work together with this. I am not anti obstetricians. <laughs> there are quotes in the paper that have, Midwives doing obstetric violence alongside yes. ones from doctors, and I really am passionate about interprofessional collaboration and education. So bringing them together, um, obstetricians and midwives together in training to actually learn and understand, and um, getting to know each other, but also learning and understanding about consent um, and how to give respectful maternity care is is really vital. And we need our our health authorities our hospitals our wider health authorities go you know what we're going to bring that in in queensland right now they have some consent workshops that are going around through um maternity choices australia i think i may have yes, got the name wrong yes <laughs>
0: i think that's right and they're
1: going around they're going around different hospitals and doing consent training and um, with as an interprofessional viewpoint of having everyone together and just going through that what does that mean and the other thing they've got in that is actually they've got the legal aspects. So they have Barshi Hazard as a lawyer going to those who also wrote the conversation article with us and her consumer organisation, Human Rights and Childbirth, is involved in the best study. Um, going along and actually giving the law around what is, what is consent. But actually we have an issue with the law in Australia okay. because we only have three states or territories that have Human Rights Act's. And that included in the Human Rights Act is um, the right of consent or to withdraw consent. Other states and territories don't have that. We don't have a federal national Human Rights Act and we have no legislation against obstetric violence. Now you might think, well, that's crazy, why would you? Well, there are countries out there that do. Seven of the 11 South American countries have legislation against obstetric violence. And what the benefit that that can do is, one, it can give a legal process for women who have experienced it to be able to be recognized and to get some finalization through a legal pathway. But also as healthcare providers, you know, we're often thinking, well, or some are thinking, if I don't do this, if I do this, or if I don't do this, I could get into trouble. I could get yep. I could get reported. And actually, what if also in your head, it was, if I actually... Did I get full consent? Mm. Did I give informed consent? Did the woman really understand what I was saying at that point or um you know did I did I just make her feel really powerless or did I make her feel dehumanized? Because if that's the case, I could get into trouble. I could get reported for that. Exactly. And I think that can actually be that little bit of uh inside your head that can actually in, impact the inc- unconscious bias in the positive <laughs> towards yes. giving respectful maternity care.
0: Oh, I was not aware of of those um, legislations or their lack of and I, I agree you know if people are I guess box ticking against policies and kind of thinking oh well I can't do we've got to push this along because the policy of the hospital says x then I would agree as well you know if you've got you know the other kind of devil on your shoulder going actually hold on a minute what's going on here then maybe it does make them second guess um that and i guess i'm mindful of your time as well hazel but i'd (laughs) um i'd just love to touch on you know how we can support the people who have experienced obstetric violence are there particular avenues that they should take. And also the other thing that you um, put in the publication was around the support people, you know, more often than not, and I've seen it as well, I've looked after, you know, mothers as a postpartum doula and I'll be in the kitchen chopping up vegetables and their partner will come in and just like sit at the bench and I'll be like, okay, here we go, like something big. (laughs) We're going to talk about something big here. and It's equally true, you know, they're just so unsure about what happened and why that happened and they're typically, you know, the protectors of their partners and they're just a mess afterwards about what happened. So uh, can you talk us through, you know, what type of support networks or, um, you know, avenues that these people can take? Both the people who've experienced Certainly. it personally
1: Look, and obstetric violence has massive ripple effects. Yeah. It isn't um, only the woman that um experiences this, uh, it is their family, it is the people that were there with them at the time, it is the people that are closest to them, um, it is even um the impacts of society about actually retelling stories that are negative to make the negative the normal. Mm. So it has a massive impact. And I think it also has an impact on that baby who then grows up and maybe their birth story is one that isn't, one that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always, I, I always know when you speak to someone who was born at home and it was an amazing birth experience because that's what they tell you. Oh yeah, I was born at home and my mum had this amazing. But you, it's very different if you were born. Um, your birth experience um, of being born was actually one that was was surrounded by violence as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it has massive impacts mm-hmm. on society, and therefore we have to. Understand that there are different ways of, of of addressing that too. So for women who have gone through that trauma, the need to find help, and that can be challenging mm. because uh, maybe people that they go and ask for help for um, are not even educated enough to understand the impact of obstetric violence, birth trauma, and then maybe birth trauma PTSD, which looks slightly different to um, standard PTSD in the DSM four. So there's very different um, ways of of looking at that, but there are amazing organisations out there. There is there is um, Cope, for example, and I've just had another one that's gone out of my head. And but there are also some amazing um, birth trauma counsellors and psychologists that are aware of it, and so it's definitely worth looking that up. And if you're not sure, you know, you can speak to a psychologist or a counsellor and say. What do you think about obstetric violence? What do you think about birth trauma? Like try and find out if they're the right person Mm. for you. Because again, you don't want to then be gaslit and said, oh, you know, that's just normal for birth. You're lucky you had a baby. So it's difficult, but I think there are certainly growth in this area and there's a lot more understanding about the impact of violence and and trauma on perinatal mental health, and that is certainly growing. So that is important. Women need to have help, but also their partners and, and support people have to understand the impact of the vicarious trauma that they have witnessed, uh, and what that can mean, and just how that can have a, such an impact to their relationship as well. So yeah, no, more work needs to be done in that area to to offer services um, that can support both um, to support both both the woman and their support person. And then also it impacts it impacts the other witnesses in the room, so it impacts midwives yeah. um, and doctors and our students. Uh, and this, I think, is something that I, I really hear a lot from because our students come back from their placement. They start their Bachelor of Free degree, degree so excited, so full of passion, and then they start going out on placement, and it's you know it's like a occasionally it's like a big a, a big slap in the face when you start seeing things and you're like I can't do anything. What happened at that point? What can I do? Hazel, give me some tools on what I can do when I'm there. Mm. And that's really difficult. And I think that comes out in lots of different ways for healthcare providers. So we need to think about that as well. What offer, what support do we give them? One, to be able to stand up at the time, but also to be able to deal with the ongoing impacts of that trauma so we've got some good things out there some good support networks out there but we definitely need more yeah. in that space yeah. and more research in the in what works and what doesn't work in that space as well absolutely absolutely i think we're ready for our
0: rapid fire if that's okay with you just a couple of oh, quick it. questions that we always finish off with first question what is your top tip
1: for mothers top tip would be to look at your support team. And I go through this in my book, like look at your support team. You are going to be doing this only a couple of times in your lifetime. So you want to be feeling like you are the most important person in that team. You want cheerleaders. You want people who practice evidence-based midwifery and evidence-based medicine. And if you're not happy with them, then go find someone else because this is your Birth. This is your pregnancy. This is your baby, and so you deserve to be at the centre of that team and have the team working to support you. And so, grab yourself a doula. Grab yourself trying it onto a midwifery continuity care program if you can, and build that support team who are actually going to be there to cheer you, to support you, and to provide your support and be there right at that tip, which is the challenging time during labour and birth when you shouldn't be be in a violent situation. You should be being adored and honoured and protected. And so find the best team for you in that scenario.
0: I love that. Find your village, ladies. (laughs) We've already touched on your wonderful book, but do you have any other resources, um, whether it be other books or, um, you know, workshops or anything like that for birthing mothers that they could grab their, get their hands on?
1: So my area has mainly been birth after cesarean, um, at this point and just now doing this birth, birth experience study work. So since the book came out in September, I've only got one book so far, but since that book came out in September, I have been doing workshops with healthcare providers and midwives and doulas all around the country, which have been really interesting. I have, uh, on my profile, on my social media profiles, I have a link tree. It has so many resources that I've put together there from, podcasts like this to um articles that I've written online to my publications and to um education modules that I've got in on different sites as well so feel free to browse through all of my all of my stuff there and yeah absolutely anyone that's had a birth after cesarean regardless of what you're planning for your next birth then that book really helps helps you go through that journey it
0: does I've I flicked through it when um my midwife friend bought it to afternoon tea and it was just so well presented as well. Like it's just very clear and um, really, really lovely. And it's full of stories. Yes, yes.
1: It starts off with my story and then it starts, then it, goes through all the research and the evidence um, but at the end there's 15 stories of women from across the globe and I weave those they're in full at the end but I also weave them through the data and throughout the book and storytelling is a really important way for us to learn. It is vital um, for us to really make sense of data and to make sense of of your own experience through hearing what other women have been through. Mm, absolutely.
0: And our last question which we ask all of our guests, what do you keep on your bedside table? <laughs> okay.
1: What well, do I give my books on table? <laughs> so <laughs> I have a couple of books, but I must say they're getting a little bit dusty, and and they're books on women in leadership. Yeah. Um, I've got earplugs because I can't sleep without them. That's from years of being a night shift worker. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And my husband used to be a snorer, but he's not, he doesn't snore so much now, but my pug does. And so on the other side of me is my pug. I've got a pug too! (laughs) We've got two pugs and um, one of them's sitting right here and one of them sleeps with me. And what else do I have on there? Probably needs a bit of a tidy up, to be honest. Um, And some water and my phone. And I think that's all that fits on there. That's all right. It's no worries. Thank you
0: so much for your time, Hazel. It has been amazing. Um, where can all the listeners find you and those wonderful resources? Um, what's your handle at Instagram and
1: so it's just um at Hazel Keedel on Instagram and I've got Hazel Keel VBAC Researcher um public profile on Facebook. Um, both of those have links to the link tree that has all the resources on it. And you can grab the book from Amazon and from Cool and Floral Store, B from Cool and Floral (laughs) Store. And the Little Lost Bookshop, which is a a bookshop here in the Blue Mountains, but they have an online shop as well. So there's a few Australian sites you can get the book plus Amazon and it's available on Kindle through Amazon as well. Amazing.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I know we've gone over. Just
1: add, watch out for more research coming yes. out. We have a whole bunch of papers in draft form. We've had students like psychology students do their theses on our, on our data. Wow. Uh, Can you give us any data.
0: hints as to what's coming next? <laughs>
1: Well, we're going to be looking in depth on the impact of different models of care. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some statistics being done on that at the moment. We've got an, um, a really interesting paper um, that we're close to finishing on um, what women want for their next pregnancy. We thought it was a very benign question, really, when we put it in there, basically saying if you were going to do anything differently, what would you do? And 6,500 women answered that with comments. Wow. So we really good in-depth um, study uh, paper on what women really want um which i think is going to be very impactful and um yeah we've got we've got some work on ptsd trauma we've got work on intimate partner violence and women, women that's experienced that in the maternity and so much more that we haven't even uh, looked at yet so yes we can watch this space the next year amazing uh,
0: oh my goodness i can't wait <laughs> i feel like i need to book you already <laughs>
1: And this is the largest maternity experiences survey that's ever been done in Australia. Yes, um, yes. With 8,804 women answering in full. And actually, it actually is more than some of the other national studies that have been done in other countries, such as the US, Canada, and the UK. And they have much bigger populations than us. So this is a very important study. Very, very important. Oh, my goodness. Well,
0: congratulations again. It's a wonderful paper. As I said, it was very challenging to get through. But nevertheless, as you said, it's kind of, it's the voice for all the people who weren't able to to actually write down in words what has happened to them. So bravo to you and to Warren and to Hannah as
1: well. To Hannah and to our wider, just a to our wider research team we've had, We've had students come onto the team. Um, we've got other research assistants that have just joined us. So thanks to Catherine and, and we've got a Fulbright scholar from the US oh, working with Oh, Wow. Thanks to Helen. And so, yes, we've got a, and the one of the, one of the last things just to leave you with is this is bigger than Australia now. We actually have a, a birth experience study international collaboration. And we have about four countries already on that. So they're going to be using our study. And some already have used the study and they're looking at their data um, in their own countries. And so we'll be able to compare our results from Australia to theirs, but it also means that those difficult questions that we put in there, such about obstetric violence, are going to be coming out from different countries as well. So yes, a, wow. a bit of a, a nod to my international, we call it the best IC. So a bit of a nod to my best I see team as well. God well done this is amazing research doesn't happen with single
0: people Uh, the best research happens with you know a soccer team worth of worth of people so well done this is so good I'm so so excited to see what's happening next um thank you again for your time and um this is going to be part one guaranteed
1: (laughs) thank you for having me on thanks (laughs) Hazel